This is episode one of Cinescope Today. And no, I'm an overweight middle-aged man. Welcome to Cinescope Today where our goal is to view and discuss current release films from a perspective that celebrates movies and their stories, characters, music, and relevance to the world around us. Not necessarily free from criticism. I'm your host, Chad Hopkins, and joining me today, as always for this show, is my co-host, Seth O'Neill, and we are talking about Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. Seth, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic. Good to hear. Uh, yeah, this is something we hinted towards in your episode this past week on the normal Cinescope show uh, when we talked about Moneyball and its launching. Um, this is a brand new sort of spinoff of the normal Cinescope show, something I've sort of wanted to do for a while and been wanting to podcast more and wanted to start a new show at first. But then I thought, you know, let's just make Cinescope bigger and better. And so here you are and here we are. Yeah, I know you actually brought up to the idea of uh, Cinescope today last week when we did Moneyball, and I, when we talked about it, it honestly was wasn't going to happen this quickly, but had the opportunity to start it up, and we took the shot, and here we are tonight. Yeah, uh, both of us had a long weekend because at the moment we're both teachers, and so Martin Luther King Jr. Day was today, and so we spent the day hanging out and eating together and going to the movies, and now we're sitting and recording together again. So glad to have you back on the mic so soon, and. Uh, more often, as we hinted towards. Yeah, of course. And I'm excited about the opportunity of Cinescope today and the many episodes that we'll be recording. Yeah, so let's just briefly talk about what this show is going to be, especially in comparison to Cinescope. You know, I started Cinescope in the summer of 2016 because, one, I missed podcasting. I'd been on Movie Bite for about 50 episodes, and it'd been a while since I'd been on that show. And so I missed podcasting and I came up with this idea of approaching film criticism from a more positive, a more positive perspective. Uh, so I could talk about movies that I know I enjoyed already. And so I didn't have to focus on negatives because I was talking about the things about those movies I liked that I liked. And so that was where Cinescope was born. Now here we are more than a year and a half later, 70 plus episodes later. And I've not seen a whole lot of new movies in theaters since starting Cinescope because I just don't have time, I, especially since starting an American Workplace as well. I'm, I feel like I'm podcasting all the time, and really the only movies I was watching or making time for, I suppose, were the movies we were talking about on Cinescope, which are older release. Yeah, and uh, same here. I mean, I, as, as a teacher and also stacking a lot of just my personal life on top of each other, uh, I didn't really set aside time to actually go to movies. The only time I'd really go to movies would be whether I'm on a break for the school year. Uh, but at that time, a lot of the movies were out. I would only see one at a time, one for a week or so. Uh, and the other new movies I would see, I'd go with you and Andrew and Melanie. Just If we'd have a free night randomly, we'd, we decided to go to a movie. So going to see new movies hasn't really been a focus on uh my life or anything I wanted to do, but I always seemed to always miss out on a few movies I told myself I'd want to go to, and then I'd forget about them completely. Yeah, there were several movies last year that I was very excited for, but just didn't get around to seeing for one reason or another. I probably saw fewer than six or seven movies in all of 2017, which means I, miss, I missed Spider-Man Homecoming, I missed Wonder Woman, I missed uh, 
Planet of the Apes. There's so many like big movies that I just didn't get around to. Thankfully, I have them on Blu-ray now and I can sit and watch them. But I, I like the theater experience. And so that's sort of what this show is geared towards is talking about recent releases, which of course is going to hopefully increase Cinescope Cinescope's audience because it means more people will be coming in to check out, oh, is this new movie worth seeing or not? Uh, so that's one of the goals. We'll always start off spoiler free for the first five to seven minutes or so. So we can give a general, is this movie worth watching or not? And I, I think that's important because, like I said, I want people to listen to this aspect, this spinoff, and decide, okay, am I going to go see that movie or not? But people aren't going to listen to a spoiler episode if they haven't seen the movie yet. So that's important to me is addressing, is this worth seeing? Yes or no? In the first 10 minutes of the podcast. So then people can go watch it, hopefully, or not watch it if we uh, deem it unworthy, and then come back and listen to us dissect it a little bit further. Yeah, I think that's a really great point that people are very curious. The one thing that I, I like about this opportunity is that people will actually get to hear our personal opinions uh, compared to looking at the movie reviews, because a lot of times when you go on Rotten Tomatoes or any of the ones where it has, has a critic score and an audience score, you kind of don't really know what to trust because the critic score can also be very low, but the audience score is very high or vice versa, or it could be a mix where it's kind of in the middle. So you kind of really don't know what to expect, but having kind of two people explain what their uh, thoughts were personally, how they related to it. Was it good, bad? Uh, brings it a good opportunity for people just to see what we think. And you and I, we, we don't have like exact movie taste, but we're not polar opposites either. So I expect we'll agree a lot of the time. I expect we'll disagree a lot of the time. Which sort of brings me to my next point is that finally we're going to be able to talk about movies and their flaws because the nature of seeing current release films, we're not going to be able to only see movies we like and, or we're going to like. We can't predict that easily. We don't know what our individual tastes for a certain film is going to be. And so this is open to criticism. This is going to be a chance for us to say, I liked this about the film and this and this, but really this didn't work for me. And uh, that'll be a nice alternative to the normal show as well uh, so i can get my negativity out every once in a while when when needed yeah for sure and, I, and that definitely for us is going to kind of broaden our uh, movie genres that we'll go watch because like you said there'll be a lot of times where we, if we go if we're doing this weekly that we'll go to a movie theater and say well none of these movies excite me so let's just kind of pick one and see how it goes and that'll be able to at least broaden our uh, cinema concepts of movies and be able to see how relate to the movies that we didn't really originally want to see. Mm -hmm. uh, and this, other than the fact that there is going to be some criticism, we are going to be talking about new movies. This is still going to be Cinescope. We're, we're still going to be d diving in just as deep to movies. The categories, the show outline you're going to find is going to be pretty much the same, uh, but with just more of a fresh perspective because we haven't had as much time to just sit and marinate on the film as we would for something that's been out for a long time. Um, now, we're not committing to a weekly release schedule for this, at least not at the moment. We're going to see movies and record episodes as often as we can, as often as our schedules allow. And if that means weekly, awesome. If that means more than weekly, even more awesome. If it means twice a month to start off with, that's okay too. Uh, this is just a way to do something different than what Cinescope has always been. And I thought just branching off and creating something new and exciting you'll see there's a new album art for this as well uh so this this is 
same but different. And so just know to expect Cinescope will still be a weekly show. This will be as often as we can. And I'd love for it to be weekly, but we just can't commit to that at the moment. Yeah. And like I said, and when, whenever we move in and get, uh, if you listen to any of the episodes I've been in previously, you know that me and Chad will be roommates uh, later on this year, which will make it a lot easier for us to record episodes of Cinescope today, uh, which will make it a lot more frequently of the episodes Hope and hopefully get us to the, the part we're doing it weekly itself. Um, we'll sometimes have guests on of when course. the opportunity arises or when someone expresses interest in talking about a certain film. And if you have any ideas for this show if or any criticisms or requests for something that you'd like us to talk about that's coming out in the future, uh, let us know. So email, social media, iTunes, all that information will be detailed at the end of this episode. Uh, and it'll be the same places as you can for the regular show as well. So I think that's enough setup. Um, we did decide to talk about Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, which has been out for almost a month at this point. But it's a blockbuster kind of film. It's a lot of fun. It's big. And we talked about the first film on Cinescope with Eric Skull just a few weeks ago. So it just seemed appropriate to start off with the follow-up and to, to dive into this movie that has been fairly well received and uh, is based on something that's from our childhood. So. Uh, are you ready to go ahead and dive in and talk about it? Of course. Okay, so our normal stats for Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. It was released December 20th of 2017, was directed by Jake Kazdan, who also directed Zero Effect, Orange County, The TV Set, Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story, Bad Teacher, and Sex Tape. It was written by Chris McKenna, Eric Summers, Scott Rosenberg, and Jeff Pinkner, based on the original Jumanji book by Chris Van Allsburg, and a sort of spiritual sequel of sorts to the original 1995 movie. The music was composed by Henry Jackman, who, among other scores, also composed for Gulliver's Travels, Winnie the Pooh, X-Men First Class, Puss in Boots, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, Wreck-It Ralph, Captain America the Winter Soldier, Kingsman the Secret Service, Captain America Civil War, Kong Skull Island, and Kingsman the Golden Circle with Matthew Margeson. And this movie stars Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Kevin Hart, Karen Gillan, Jack Black, Nick Jonas, Bobby Cannavale, Alex Wolf, Madison Eisman, Sudarius Blaine, and Morgan Turner. So to start this off, how about we talk about sort of our background with Jumanji itself? What, what's your experience with the original film, your opinion of it, experience you've had over the years, etc.? Yeah, so uh, Jumanji, the original film, uh, obviously when it came out, I was, we we're, were in middle school. Uh, when the original came out, we were like three. Oh, really? Yeah, 95. 95? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I must admit, if you said that you're within that first section of dialogue, I totally missed it. But that is insane. So, okay, so I was, we were three, so we we're babies. So obviously we didn't go in the movie theaters yet. No, no. So I, well, I was trying to think, I think back, I think my family actually owned the movie. And I saw it through my family owning the DVD and I was just able to watch it. But it was a movie that I really enjoyed as a kid because it was a board game that I had played and seeing it as a movie was just a cool connecting to the board game uh, and obviously seeing a uh, familiar face in uh, Robin, Williams. Robin Williams. I don't know why the heck I blanked on Robin <laughs> Williams. I, that's stupid for me. I feel, I feel stupid for that. Uh, but for seeing Robin Williams be a main character is obviously another person I connect with because he is someone that I saw so much in my childhood through whether it be cartoons or in real life movies. 
but it was just a fun film. It was just something that you can visually enjoy. It's a fun little concept. Kind of gives you heart racing as a kid whenever you see the board game in action. Uh, so it was just a really just enjoyable film as a kid to see. It's interesting to hear that you played the board game because we talked about in Cinescope uh, episode 70 when we talked about the movie that uh, we'd like to play the game. I, I don't think I ever have. And it's funny. Recently, you and I went to Starbucks uh, in Dallas and we came across a family that was playing Jumanji in the middle of Starbucks. And so, of course, I had to text Eric Skoll. I'm fearing for my life because people were playing Jumanji in the middle of this public place. Uh, <laughs> but first coffee. Uh, but yeah, I, I never played the game, uh, but I did like the movie. It's not something I, I grew up on in a sense that I watched it all the time. Obviously, it's been around since I was a kid, but it's just not something. It wasn't one of my favorite movies growing up or anything. I had some fondness because I like Robin Williams and it was a movie from my childhood, but it, it just wasn't some it wasn't something I watched all the time. And so when this came around, the sequel um the original wasn't sacred to me. And so I was pretty much open to the idea of a sequel of sorts from the very beginning. Uh, even when we learned that it was going to be very different, like I think it was told pretty early on after the controversy with Karen Gillan's outfit in this movie uh, being so skimpy, they said, hold on, hold on. It's a video game that makes so that th we knew pretty early on that it was going to be a video game. And so that raised some questions as well. How exactly is this a sequel? Is it a sequel? Are they just rebooting it completely? Uh, but I didn't really care. I was excited either way, because especially once it started to come out, responses were pretty great. And if you look on Rotten Tomatoes right now, its Rotten Tomatoes score is higher than the original films. You know, the Rotten Tomatoes wasn't around when the original movie came out. So there is some bias towards newer films in that respect. But yeah, I mean, I was excited for this movie. I, just, I, I was excited for this movie because the, the original wasn't so highly revered by me, though I did enjoy it. Yeah. And one thing that I, whenever I saw the uh, advertisement for the second Jumanji, uh, I was, at first I was kind of very critical about it, seeing, seeing the names on it. I feel like they were trying to just kind of put big names in front of it and, we'll, and kind of make it cheesy. Uh, that was kind of my fear with it, but whenever I saw more trailers and saw and saw and heard over that it wasn't really a sequel, it was kind of a new concept. And I heard about the video game concept. I really thought it was a cool idea to continue kind of the story uh, and bring a new version to it that's more up to date and more relatable to obviously the time that we're in right now. So, what was your what what's your impression of this movie and compared to the original? Um, I think honestly, there's two, you can't really compare them. I think that's where, where it can be very dangerous of you comparing. Cause I think there's two completely different movies. Like they're, they're not relatable in different ways. There, there's times where the movies kind of mesh together, kind of to, to connect. Hey, this is the same game that they play in the first movie, but the way that they deliver the story from the first original to the second one is completely different. The purpose behind both of them completely different, but they have the same concept of it is a board game. Yeah, I mean, I, I really liked this movie. Um, I think that it, it, in some ways, I do like it more than the original. In some ways, I think the original is the original, and that's just the way it is. Uh, but I would say that this one overall is more fun than the original. And it's definitely more of an action-adventure spectacle. Uh, because you're actually in the jungle rather than the jungle sporadically sprouting up in the middle of the city. 
So in that respect, it's it's more of something to witness on the big screen and really get a lot out of that. Uh, but like I said, there are ways in which the original surpassed this one for me. And I think mostly in terms of heart, I like the original one more because one, I'm a sucker for father-son relationships. And two, there were some character moments in this one I thought were were rushed or a couple of conflicts that were too easily resolved just once or twice. But those are pretty minor complaints because like I said, I, I had a whole lot of fun watching this movie. Yeah, for sure. And the thing that I think obviously the thing that's hard to compare them with is just the year difference, like yeah. 1995 to 2017, I guess, cause it was December, but obviously this one's more, the new one's more visually pleasing because of the visual effects, but obviously this story in the original is kind of, like you said, it has a good heartfelt story, father, son, uh, relationship. This one's this sec, this newer one's kind of focused more so on kind of a friend to friend relationship. Mm-hmm. It has a little bit of a father, son story as well, uh, but not as heavily as the first one. So they both are just, I, like I said, kind of different. It's, it's hard to compare because there's so many things that are, separate them completely. Yeah. Even though I like the father, son relationship in the original more than the, the friendship, based relationships in this one this one definitely isn't mindless like i think some people might have expected it to be especially when you put people like dwayne johnson and kevin hart and jack black on on a movie poster you have a sort of expectation for that kind of movie and i think as far as that kind of expectation this goes beyond expectations um so would you recommend seeing this in theaters oh absolutely (laughs) good i i echo that completely so uh Before we linger too long on spoiler-free, let's go ahead and move on to actual spoilers. So if you haven't seen the film or if you care about spoilers or anything like that, step away, go watch the movie. We liked it. We hope you'll like it too. Come back and here we go. So the story, what do you like about the story here? Well, the first thing obviously is that what the way that they transformed Jumanji. Uh, I thought that was so cool. It was amazing because uh, the very beginning, actually, the way that this this newer one starts off, it kind of picks up where the old one left off because the old one uh, ends off with J- the Jumanji board uh, being washed up and you hear the, the drums beating kind of cuts out at the end. The second one picks up. Someone's running on the beach. They hear the drums, pick up the board, bring it home, and then they take give it to their kid. And then the kid's like, oh, it's a board game who plays board games anymore, puts it on a shelf and plays a video game. And the game realizes what's happening. This is a newer time. So I, the game needs to change itself. Yeah. It makes itself relevant, which I think makes the game even more sinister than it was in the first film. Uh, it, it's crazy that it's like, Hmm, I need to make myself as appealing to people as I possibly can to ensnare them. It's almost like a, a drug dealer hiding drugs and candy to hand it out to kids. Like, th- not exactly that sentiment, but it, <laughs> it's the the idea that you're making yourself more enticing to to trap people in something. And that, that was like, ooh, that's really cool. Yeah, so it's just a very... Whoever thought had that concept of saying, hey, what if the game had a mind of its own? Let's change it to a video game. Like, that's just an awesome way to transform the idea of Jumanji. Mm-hmm. And I liked the callbacks to the original movie, whether it was Alan Parrish's house within the jungle and his name being carved in, or it was the drums that that mark the return of the board game or the video game now. 
or a character named Van Pelt, the the villain in this movie was named Van Pelt, just like the the sort of antagonist of the original. And uh, I'll have more to say about him later, but I, I liked all of those nice touches where it didn't linger too much on the original board game. Uh, it made itself new, but it didn't let go of the past 100%, which I think people really wanted from something like this. They didn't want it to be completely new. Yeah. And also uh, another thing that, that I really liked about it is kind of the cleverness that they did with the characters. Mm-hmm. Like uh, just the way that they were able to transform the high school kids into the characters, but just kind of the, just the idea of, of they, they knew what characters they wanted for this movie. They knew they wanted the rock, Kevin Hart, Jack Black and uh, Karen is it Karen Karen Gillan Karen Gillan like because they they kind of typecasted because they knew that based off of that they could make just a hilarious combination of just very funny back and forths and just little one liners that they'll all do because they're all individually just hilarious actors but also just really good actors and actresses but combined they just had a good chemistry throughout the whole entire movie and they also played their part as if they were high schoolers perfectly uh, and. Just the the idea of it being a video game, there's so many video game jokes that are made as we venture into this world where you have characters or avatars with respawns and strengths and weaknesses and non-playable characters or cutscenes. And even from the very beginning, when they first get sucked in, you take first person of Spencer's body or uh, what's his name? Spencer uh, uh, Smolder Bravestone's yeah, Bra- body Bravestone. as go. he falls, and so you're you're momentarily in a first person video game, and you see the arms and you see the legs, and uh, it's a really cool experience and something that video gamers are pretty familiar with. You play first person all the time. Yeah, and that that I I don't remember that part until you just brought it up that the first person because it was very, it was there very briefly whenever they're falling, mm-hmm. and then also it was very it was very clever the way that when they went to a cutscene they're still having their voiceovers saying oh it's a cutscene uh, the video games have this we have to watch this, this is important like it's right. just funny just to see that they brought just the kind of like you said the cleverness of a video game but kind of jo- joking about it and it forces these characters into roles that help them to grow. Uh, having strengths and weaknesses and tasks that are only sub- uh, surmountable by certain characters with certain abilities. Uh, it's a really natural way to have these characters grow throughout the movie as you would want them to. Yeah, and the, ca- and the characters that they were playing in the game were the exact opposite of where the- who they were in real exactly. life. Which was, like you said, it was a great way for all the characters to develop, to develop throughout the movie and kind of focus on what they need to learn from the game that the game was teaching them basically Mm -hmm. because they each had a life lesson kind of i'm sort of contradicting myself when i say this but there were times while watching that i kind of wish they'd made more callbacks to like the things that appeared in the first jumanji like the giant spiders or the um the giant mosquitoes or even just like the red monkeys in the background somewhere Uh, but at the same time the fact that it changed itself from a board game to a video game sort of uh, retcons that kind of stuff, I suppose, uh, and makes itself completely new. So it's it's a minor, like, it would have been cool if, but it wasn't something that, that changed the quality of the film for me. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, again, I, I like that they didn't rely too heavily on the original film. But also kind of think about it, the thing about all the stuff that they brought in with the original film, like all the animals and creatures, 
they all the creatures had a purpose in the original film, like spiders. I forgot which character was deathly afraid of spiders. Or I, I think it might have been Sarah, but it might have been. But sure. but like, each of the monsters had like a certain person that they were focused on, or who they're who who was scared of what, and kind of the same thing with this kind of movie each creature had a purpose and also the game the game transformed itself so there was a new mission this time around it wasn't Mm -hmm. the same old you just have to beat the game board now is now we have a mission for you you're gonna live it out act it out same old like it's different whole uh concept now that the game's transformed Mm -hmm. and the the introduction of a lives system where each character can die up to three times uh before they are permanently dead uh offers a way to introduce strategy and to overcome obstacles or in the case where uh fridge's character pushes spencer off the cliff because he's angry and he loses a life and so they have to understand we can't do that we can't waste lives like that it, it, it's a really smart mechanic and again very very well done um now before we move on to specific character stuff i just wanted to mention something in reference to when we talked about the original movie we talked about Van Pelt as a character who embodies uh, somebody's fears. And so in that film, he was sort of the embodiment of Alan's fear of his father. And we talked about the possibility of how if Sarah had been sucked into the game instead, or Judy or Peter, Van Pelt would have been something different to match that character's fear. And in a way, this movie sort of validates that because we have another Van Pelt character, but in this one, he's an end boss. He's the the bad guy of the video game story. And so as we sort of predicted or surmised, this character of Van Pelt is moldable. He's adaptable. He's changeable in order to fit the purpose, fit the need. And because it's a video game now, the video game needs an end boss and... Van Pelt's a perfect outlet for that. So I thought that was uh, a cool way to... Uh, obviously, they weren't doing it for me. They, they they did that way before we even posited that in the episode. But it was just something I'm going to have to contact Eric about and say, hey, we sort of got this right. <laughs> I, I thought that was cool. Yeah, for sure. And like, and I like that they, the Van Pelt this time around was... He fit the video game boss description perfectly. Like He had his cut scenes in the video game where he was very... Uh, What's the word? Uh, not mischievous. It's like sinister. Sinister. Very sinister. Like the way he treats his uh, men that are that are working for him, and the way that he just kind of walks around. The the way he looks. Like it just has a sinister. I am the main boss for this whole movie. Like it's like the whole. You know that this movie is going to end with a fight with me type deal, mm-hmm. and also just the way, just the whole backstory that the even the game even lets you know who he is. And what what his purpose is exactly for this game, so you know what he's there for. If it had been any other film, I would have complained about him not having not being fleshed out enough. But he's a video game character and right. a video game end boss, and he's basically an NPC. Uh, but in that respect, I would say it was a little weird to have moments as an audience with him because he was technically an NPC. You know what I mean? Like when we saw the cutscene. The, the characters were also seeing the cutscene. But why are we having, why are we following the villain along when they're not following? The, does, do you understand what I'm saying? It's yeah. a little strange. Again, not something that brings the quality of the film down for me, but I was like, why are we seeing this? Because uh, 
it doesn't matter right in the end i, I guess you can kind of see it see it as i mean yeah it is a video game but also the game still has a mind of its own mm-hmm. so the villain like even though there's some characters in there that are npcs you can think that the villain is kind of the mind of jumanji it is like mm-hmm. the has its own personality has its own character it doesn't necessarily have to follow the rules that the npcs have to exactly like the npcs they just have, they just have to say their line over and over again because that's all they're known to say he i think he had his own actions that he could he could do uh because he's the main boss jumanji gave him that ability to kind of have free reign over what's happening in this game. Yeah, I, perhaps it was a way of showing that the game wasn't like a traditional game where you play from start to finish because there's a set storyline. This is a game that's learning and is adapting to these characters, overcoming its obstacles and is hunting them down. So I, I appreciate that in retrospect. That makes sense. Uh, now, what about our other characters? Let's just start off with Spencer or... Dr. Smolder Bravestone. What did you think about him? Uh, obviously, Spencer, just from the get-go, you obviously get he's the nerdy, awkward kid in high school that no one really is friends with him because they kind of see him as a quirky, just weird, weird dude. And him getting the character of um, Dr. Bravestone, obviously, is just a... Like I said, one of, all the characters are just polar opposites of that person. So... Him getting that persona of Bravestone at first uh, freaked him out because he said, oh, crap, I have to be a leader. Like mm-hmm. he's the kid that was be able, like everyone would look kind of not even look at because he'd blend in with the background. But now he's he is the main person in this storyline. He's like the number one character in this game that everyone relies on. Without him, nothing can happen. Right. Uh, I liked that. And this goes with each character. They were they were forced to embrace the opposite of themselves and to learn what it felt like to be like that. And though they may be uncomfortable at first, by the end of the the storyline, if you will, uh, they have fully grown into that character. And you see Spencer, he's even reluctant to return at first. He says, you know, I don't like being me. In the real world, in the real world, in comparison to the me I am in this world, where I am big and brave and strong and uh, uh, can can overcome these obstacles in a way that I can't in reality. Um, but that's when Martha steps in and says, "Well, we can still be this person. This person is still inside of us. We just have to let them out, I suppose." Uh, so it, it, it's cool seeing that growth. I liked his relationship with Martha, where you could see from the beginning of the film, even before they're zapped into the game, absorbed into the game, where uh, he was expressing interest in her. He he looks at her in the gym, says, wow, she's cool. She's standing up to the teacher. She's doing something I would never would have thought of doing. And that that attraction builds once they get to see that that inside part of them unearthed within the game. Yeah, and uh, that's definitely I, I, one thing that I kind of laughed because I thought about. It, I was like, if you're if you're embodying Dwayne the Rock Johnson, I would love to be that him forever, <laughs> like repeat on repeat. Like Dwayne the Rock Johnson, he's just a beast. And isn't is there an actor out there more likable than Dwayne the Rock Johnson? No, I don't, I don't think there is. He's so uh, charismatic, even when he's playing a high schooler playing himself. Yeah, he he, he is so likable. His smile. 
is still dashing. He is just this this big old bear in some respects, like teddy bear, like the kind that you want to be around and uh, admire. He, he's such a fun actor, and he, he really brings out uh, the the charismatic parts of the character. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's why... That's why he is used in so many films because he's able to, even though he looks like a ginormous giant that can crush you with his pinky, uh, he's able to embody a character that's awkward, that's shy, that's not like he, he's able to do it so much. Obviously, you've seen him in Fast and Furious films. You've seen him in Disney films where he's like a, what was it, the uh, shoot the uh, game plan as one movie that is like polar mm-hmm. opposite where he has to be like a dad, but he also has to play play the roles are like are like very simple and sincere like he's just a fun actor to watch in any film because he's just, he is Dwayne the Rock Johnson like no matter where you see him he's just fun to watch now what about uh Kevin Hart's character of Fridge or Mouse Finbar oh yeah so Fridge obviously from the get-go is someone you just don't like right I mean you just I mean not you're not supposed to like him he no. is he is the punk that he abandoned his friend because uh, of popularity. He abandoned his friend because he, he thought he was, he was an athlete that was going to go somewhere with his life. And he basically just he was using... Uh, what's his name? Spencer. Spencer. Oh, my God. I'm, I need to have like a list of names because <laughs> I'm, I'm awful with names, especially because we've seen it only once. Uh, but he is using fr- Spencer's friendship just so he can pass his classes. Like, he's just an awful person. So... Him getting the persona of Kevin Hart, which is a short person who can't run, is the sidekick of Spencer's Doctor Brave, uh, Brave Smart, Brave Stone. I Brave Stone. I can't I'll, see. I'm, he's, I just need to have like a list of names. Uh, Doctor Brave Stone. Like he basically was given the the side sideline picture. He was given the sideline character where he has to basically watch, and so that was a very humbling uh, thing for him to do. But obviously he doesn't get humbled very quickly. It takes him a long time to figure out what his, what his part of the picture is uh, in this video game, but he, like he rejects it. He he kills Spencer's character uh, just because he doesn't accept the fact that Spencer's, he, his character is supposed to be the leader of this game, but fridge is supposed to he wants to be the all-star. He wants to be the MVP of this game. He wants to be doing everything that Spencer's doing, but he obviously can't, he has flaws. I wonder what incentive Fridge was using to get Spencer to do his homework. Do you think there were threats of violence or do you think there were promises of, yeah, we'll hang out sometime if you do my homework? I mean, because I th- you could you could take it either way and either way it makes him a jerk bag. <laughs> yeah, I think it could easily be both. I mean, you, obviously we don't see that. I mean, we, we, we see that Spencer wants to hang with him and he like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Uh Maybe we can go hang out. And he just kind of blows him off saying, ah, this weekend, eh, just kind of avoids him. Uh, but I want to say Spencer is trying to get his friend back because they were, I think he said they were best friends in middle school, elementary school, middle school. Growing up, yeah. Growing up. Uh, so I think Spencer is still kind of seeing him as his best friend. Obviously, like he knows that it's not the same fridge, but he's trying to get him back so that they can be, they can be friends again because he misses that. But at the same time, I can see fridge maybe using his Spencer's flaws to his advantage and just, I don't know. It, I don't, I don't think it's anything abusive, but I want, I'd, I'd rather, I'd, I'd probably lean towards more of the side where he's kind of just using, he knows how to use Spencer and how to get him to kind of tag along. 
Yeah, I don't disagree, but there were a couple of instances within the game that sort of showed that Spencer was a little bit afraid of him. Oh, yeah. In that scene where he got pushed off the cliff, uh, even though Kevin Hart is much smaller than Dwayne Johnson, Dwayne Johnson's character, uh, Bravestone, was scared and flinched when, when uh, Finbar... Finbar? Yeah. Yeah, Finbar. <laughs> uh, bear with us on the names, everybody. When Finbar sort of lurched at him right. and he, he recoiled and uh, it was like, oh, well, yeah, he's still the big man in this, this friendship. That's not really a friendship. And that, that scene has the most heartbreaking line of the whole film, I think, when he says, I've been trying to ditch you since seventh grade. And here Spencer has been doing his homework and trying to be friends thinking that doing his homework would get him there and it's just not working. So that relationship and where they come at the end of the film, they, they are friends again. I'm glad that everybody's friends by the end of the Mm -hmm. film. But, uh, if I had a criticism, I would, I would say that fridge as a character was the one who I don't think grew as much as I would like him to. That was my, one of my complaints is, after that moment where he said that there was no resolve no there wasn't this like makeup between friends there were a couple times where they had one-on-one conversations that were perfectly amicable and he did encourage uh spencer at the end of the film when he was saying you know i can't i can't do this he says yes you can uh but there was no like apology or this promise or just resolution really of any kind it was implied but I would have liked a moment where they said, listen, I'm, I said this thing. I didn't really mean it. I, I don't know. Maybe that's asking for too much. But th- th- that's just sort of I, I wish of, of all four characters, Fridge was the one that came just a little bit short for me. Yeah, I agree uh, that fr- Fridge just I, I don't think he, they focus on his character enough that we were able to see a transformation or a development in his character that grew from kind of where he started to where he ended. Obviously, they imply, they imply a lot with him, but they don't actually give him a chance to show uh, a transformation from where he was, where he started, to where, how it ended. It, it, shows, it shows him very close with the four. It shows him happy and kind of very blowing off everything that he used to be. But at the same time, like I, I really wanted a resolve from that just very tense one-liner he threw out that kind of was a gut punch to just everybody that's witnessed it. Even the girls that witnessed it where they were just like, Oh my gosh, like mm-hmm. that's awful. Yeah. Kevin Hart is really funny. Oh, and that, that was the focus for his character in this movie. He was definitely our comic relief and that's fine, but I just would have liked a little bit more from the character. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's nothing to say against Kevin Hart at all. No. Because no. Kevin Hart, he's just a phenomenal, like, again, kind of like, kind of same as Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Kevin Hart, again, is just one of those people that you throw out there and people just enjoy him no matter where he's at. Because mm-hmm. he's a funny person, but he can also be very serious. He could also just, he's very, again, very versatile actor. And him and Dwayne Johnson play great off of each other. Yeah. We saw it in Central Intelligence, which was overall a very meh kind of movie but they worked really well together and they were the highlight for sure and i I think that's the case here as well but then we have uh martha in the body of ruby roundhouse played by karen gillen and it's sort of the same situation as spencer with bravestone where it's the the nerdy girl a little not very confident with herself put into for for lack of a better term a babe 
Like she's very attractive. And on top of that, she's super awesome and she's very athletic and she's a superheroine, basically. She's a very cool character, uh, but it, it, it's in the same vein as Bravestone. Yeah, and her character obviously is the fighter of the bunch. Like, out of all four her characteristics, she basically kicks people's butts. So, mm-hmm. whenever she is put into that character, whenever she first gets there, she's like, A, where's my clothes? And then B, how the heck am I doing these roundhouse kicks on these fools? Mm-hmm. So she is very, like, not... Com- obviously, you can see she's not confident with herself. She's uncomfortable with who she is as a person because you can see as she fits into this character, she's just uncomfortable no matter what. So it kind of shows that she's uncomfortable with just with her own skin, with who she is. And then, obviously, she's very uncomfortable just in a conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, she at the very beginning of the movie... Whenever she was in actual high school, she did obviously she was didn't want to talk to anybody at school. She didn't talk to anybody at school. She back talked her coach because she didn't want to um, throw a ball with anybody because she's just a loner. Mm-hmm. So her having to work in a group didn't really work out well because she just doesn't she doesn't know how to work with people. Yeah, it's not a clone of Spencer's character, and they don't have the same the same growth. No. They they have similar growths, but hers also explores social relationships a little bit further. And I mean, frankly, her sexuality, uh, she, she's not like a dorky looking girl. She's pretty in real life. And Bethany uh, within the video game as Jack Black's character uh, does go up to her and say, Hey, you're a babe own it. Um, and I, I don't think that was just talking about in the game. I think, I mean, she's an attractive girl and, Al or Alex, that's the actor's name. Spencer had already been eyeing her, not just for the physical, for the smarts as well. But she she did have like the dance fighting scenes and the flirting scenes where she learned to do that part of herself, where she learned to be a little bit more engaging in a conversation and learned to to be feminine. And not not that that was her end goal as a character, but it helped her to form that relationship with Spencer at the end of the film. Yeah, I mean, it helped her to build confidence as just as who she is as a person because she was comfortable with who she was at all, like I said. So being able to actually uh, act like a high school girl allowed her to say, hey, I'm now feeling more comfortable with who I am. I now know kind of what I should be doing as a high school girl. I kind of know how to actually talk to people now. So she just has a new, not really a new identity, but she's found her identity and who she is personally. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, we have Bethany who inhabits the body of professor Shelly Oberon. Shelly Oberon, that's it. And I don't think it's wrong to say that Jack Black is sort of the highlight of the film in a lot of ways. One thousand <laughs> percent. I like as we were walking out of the theater, I, t- I was telling Chad, I was like, Jack Black deserves a Golden Globe Award for the fact that he just pulled off playing a high school girl perfectly, believably, yeah, believably it's, it's and so perfectly. <laughs> and it's just so funny because uh, the character of uh, Bethany, she obviously is the popular social media binded girl that just everyone she's like the group of girl everyone looks up to because she's popular and very good looking and she's confident in herself but obviously throughout the movie you see how she's so reliant on that itself that's all she's that's her identity is just her social media pre- presence and her 
uh, popularity in high school. That's She's completely it. self-absorbed. Yes. And so obviously Jack Black <laughs> plays it perfectly throughout the whole entire <laughs> beginning, wherever she's fo- focused on where her phone is and the fact that she's now a middle-aged man and all the struggles that she was like just bombarding everybody about how she's so worried about her social media other than the fact that they're in, stuck in a video game where they can die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they take away her image because she was so obsessed with her self-image. And so she, again, in a, in a, she goes on a completely different course than everybody else because hers is definitely more inward, her, her change. Everybody else is about forming relationships with people and how they relate to each other. So you have Spencer and his friendship with Fridge. You have Fridge, well, likewise. And then you have Spencer and his relationship with Martha. And now you have Bethany, and it's all about her relationship with herself and her relationship with not a specific person, but with everybody. And how she has to think more about others and... uh make sacrifices she gives up one of her lives uh to save alex Mm -hmm. which puts her more at risk and that's really the moment where you see oh she has learned something she has grown from this experience uh so it it is cool to see (laughs) such a a funny role a funny performance from jack black but also this character who's having to learn that looks aren't everything. Yeah, and one, another one of the kind of crucial moments that you see that she's developed is whenever she's talking to Alex's character, and one of the lines she says is, I guess having my, not having my phone has allowed me to focus on the fact that the other people have problems too. Like, and that's honestly something that is so relatable today because, I mean, us as teachers, we see it with our students, how everyone's so self-absorbed with their phone and social media and what's happening that they forget the fact that other people have emotions. Other people have problems that they're dealing with that don't revolve around you specifically. They have their own issues that they're dealing with. So how about you be conscious of that? So Mm -hmm. it was just a very good lesson that is so relatable to society these days because people are so focused on themselves that they forget about what is happening around them and what's happening in someone else's life. Yeah, I mean, this movie is not going to change lives, but hopefully some teenagers go out and they saw this movie and they say they hear that quote and think they at least think to themselves, do I use my phone too much? Whether that really changes them or not, probably not. But at least they're getting the question asked and seeing what can benefit from not being glued to your phone 24 yeah. seven. Um, then the last character we have, who's sort of the outsider, just because he is basically the Alan Parrish of this movie is Alex or Seaplane, as he's known in the game. What do you think about him? So Alex, I think they kind of, they, they basically connected him to Alan Parrish because Alan Parrish had the same situation where he was stuck in the game for so long uh, and came out and then was able to play the game. Him kind of same situation. He was stuck in the game for so long. He was kind of on his last, he was on his last live because he was trying to play the game by himself, which is impossible because the game is needs more people in order to win. Uh, And he kind of gave up hope for a long time and whenever he found out that there were other players, he kind of regained that hope, but again, lost, like he had his, his like, just basically confidence himself kind of was like a going up and down elevator type role where he didn't know what was going on. But I think there's so many like hard moments that he had to realize that was hard for him to go through. I mean, going through, through the whole game by himself. I mean, he's all alone in this jungle of craziness that basically the, all the whole movie of all of the emotions our characters have been going through. 
he had to do the exact same thing, but by himself. Mm -hmm. So that's 1000 times tougher because you don't have anyone to relate to. You have no idea what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then the fact that he learns that he's been stuck in the game for 20 years is another thing that he has to quickly understand and realize, but also realize he's still stuck in this game. He has one life left. How the heck is he going to get out of here? Like there's so many things that he has to go through within just a matter of small period of time that just shows that he has a huge obstacle, but he still overcomes it through a lot of help from the people around him and confidence and uh, confidence that he need not confidence, but uh, just understanding that he needs to get home so he can get to his family. Mm -hmm. I I wish we'd gotten more of him, but I think the movie's excuse for not giving us more was the fact that he was basically this film's Alan Parrish. I think they expect that most or at least a good or, or a, a good chunk of people who are watching this movie have seen the original and they've already gone through the character who's been stuck in the game for 26 years, 20 years and they they've explored that relationship already. So there that's one reason why I think we don't have as much of him. I do agree that his his growth is more on confidence and on endurance. Uh, he he's scared to take the risk because he only has the one life left, but that's another sort of lesson of the film um, where you only have one life to live in the real world. So why should you treat this really any different? You have to take chances. You have to risk things in order to pay things off. Uh, And so that, that is something that he learns through the companionship with this quartet of friends and uh i i do like that but he his role was minimized i think because he's alan Parrish, basically um and he's the tribute to robin williams yeah. in that respect at the same time so that was cool yeah i really uh like that message that the movie kind of focused on about we only have one life how are you going to live it uh because that all that honestly is what i think a big mindset change for each one of them was because they realized that they can't waste their time focusing on all the problems that they were dealing with previously. They can't waste their time focusing on self-image. They can't waste their time focusing on uh, the waste of time with relationships or just confidence or whatever. They just have to get out of the rut that they're in and grow so they can actually live their life to the fullest that they can. And all for, I mean, for Alex, it was kind of, it was kind of that, but also he had no idea once he got out of the game, what it would look like. Mm-hmm. Cause knowing that it's 20 years, he's like, when I get out of the game, am I going to be an old man? Am I going to be back still a 16 or whatever many year old kid, but living in that new year now? Or like he didn't have no idea. Uh, seeing the original film, we had kind of an idea that they could have done the same thing that the original movie did, mm-hmm. which they did, which was everyone was turned back to their original time. I really liked it. I, I mentioned really liking that for the original movie too, because it gave Alan and Sarah a chance to restart their lives without this trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same thing with Alex here. I like that he gets to go back to 90, 1996 and live his life with his parents. And his parents don't have to go through that traumatic experience either. And that he has a chance at the end to meet with these other characters. I think uh, if we had just gotten him going back to 96, that would have been like, okay, whatever. But mm-hmm. since they, they got the chance to bump into each other and share that moment, and he reveals, yeah, we named one of my daughters Bethany because after the girl who saved my life. Mm. Uh, that, that's a really cool moment and validating for Bethany as a character because she's just gone through this whole experience 
where she has made a sacrifice. She has been not self-absorbed for a moment so that she could make a sacrifice for this person that she cared about. And even though she, I think, was hoping it would turn romantic in the real world and she doesn't get that, she gets that emotional payoff of knowing that what she did made a difference in this guy's life. And so I, I really like the ending in that respect. And uh, just speaking of the ending, uh, what do you think is going to happen next, if anything? Do you think that them smashing the game means the end, we're not going to mess with it anymore? Or do you think that Jumanji is sinister enough that it's going to find another way? Uh, I think Jumanji it'll definitely can definitely find a way. I don't mm-hmm. think destroying the video game is going to do anything. Cause, I mean, if you look at the board game, the board game survived going through so many trials it was put in cement i think at one point Mm -hmm. uh was it for the before even the kids found i think that was was in cement of a building it was in a chest buried underground okay so it was that then also it survived going through a a river and found yeah it it survived a lot so it's it's got like even wear and tear of a board game like the way that a board game should be it should obviously not survive all that and it did I don't think just destroying a video game console is going to stop the board game at all. It mm-hmm. still has a mind of its own. It's going to pop back up. It's going to transform again into something even more, I think, even more dangerous the next time. But we don't know what. So mm-hmm. they could easily continue the story. Uh, and I don't know what, what it would look like next. But I'm, I mean, if, if, the, if it's continuing on to this trend of kind of how the stories are going, I'm excited about what it would do. Uh, but one thing I also wanted to add about something I was kind of disappointed on at the ending mm-hmm. was uh, I didn't we didn't real when they get back came back to the original time I wish they would again focus on fridge that's yeah. something I'm still still bummed about because they talked about how the, the uh, cheating on the paper killed his like football joined the football team when they came back I wish they would have like talked about what changed like, like gone what, to study hall or something yeah, worked on homework together or, like what what happened there because again we i just wanted more about his character because again he's one of the, i mean he's one of the main four characters but he was one that was kind of swept under the rug mm-hmm. and one that i wanted to know more about because i think his character had the potential of the most growth mm-hmm. but it didn't yeah we, we didn't, didn't get anything yeah. saying oh he learned his lesson he's just hanging out with the others which i guess is saying something but it's really not enough. Um, talking about music just for a moment. Uh, now, obviously, this segment on Cinescope today is going to be different than normal Cinescope because most of the time we're not going to have listened through the soundtrack separately. I might every once in a while, but we're really just basing our music discussion based off of what we've heard in the movie the one time we've seen it. So that being said, do you have anything to say about the music? Honestly, I wasn't focused on the music, <laughs> which again, like whenever I listen, watch a movie, if, if the music's not something that is popping out to me, that's t- sometimes is a good thing because mm-hmm. that means that the music blended in well with the movie that it didn't affect how I thought of it. So that's typically a good point that the music did not take away from the story, but help move it along. Right. I mean, what I would say, I like Henry Jackman as a composer, especially over the last several years. His big break was sort of with X-Men First Class. He'd done a lot of stuff with Hans Zimmer and Remote Control Productions before then. But since X-Men First Class, Wreck-It Ralph, uh, Kingsman, all these recent films, I really like his stuff. Uh, and what I heard and what I paid attention to while watching tonight, I really enjoyed as well. Uh, it, it fits the movie. It's fun, adventurous. It... They, he kept the drums uh, that represented the game itself. So A plus on all of that. 
don't really have that much else to say, except I, I liked it. I thought the music was great. I, I was thinking about it at some points, but I just don't have a whole lot to say about it aside from it fits and it's good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, again, it's hard to base everything. But for this kind of syscope today, it's going to be hard to base all the music unless the music is such a heavy feature of the film. Well, yeah, I mean, if it's something like Star Wars and yeah. we were talking about The Last, Last Jedi right now, I'm sure we'd have plenty to say oh, about yeah. the music just because there's so much music that has existed for 30 plus years at this 40 years at this point uh, that we could always find something to talk about. But this just isn't one of those movies and that's okay. Um, now going on to relevance, uh, just starting off, one of the things I'd heard about this movie before I saw it was that it had some bre- breakfast club kind of vibes and watching. I definitely understand that it, it's characters in detention who are very different from each other, come from very different social circles and they have to overcome their differences and spend time together and learn about each other. And at the end of the day, they come uh, away unlikely friends. So in that respect, very similar to breakfast club. Um, and I think that in the same way, the movie is about sort of celebrating you yourself, who you are, um, just because you're a nerd who likes to play video games doesn't mean you need to go out and be something else to meet somebody else's expectations of you. Uh, you are your own person and you should be proud of who you are. And I think that's one of the, the big messages of the film, but to immediately contrast myself I want to say that it's also about being more than ourselves. It's about sometimes we get so comfortable with our day-to-day, with who we hang out with, and it, it hinders us in some ways. So sometimes it's necessary or at least helpful to step outside of our comfort zones so that we can experience new things and grow. And I think that those are, are dual lessons that we get from this movie. Yeah, for sure. And I, we've kind of already talked about some of the the kind of life lessons that it, this movie kind of brings up to. And obviously one of the ones that we, that's been a constant theme is just kind of overcoming independent obstacles that you've placed in yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we talked about, every character had a obstacle that they created for themselves in their personal life, whether it was uh, self-image, confidence, so on and so forth that we've already talked about. And that, again, it come, that tells you that each person has to reach out of their comfort zone to become, to reach for an aspect of their life that they have not used that can help them grow into a stronger individual, stronger person that will allow them to have more uh, awareness of uh, who's around them. If it was Bethany or more compassion for friends, whether it's fridge or just more confidence uh, for um, Martha, or if it's just more bravery, more courage uh, for, uh, Spencer. Spencer. Uh, so every one of them had a personality trait that they were having to be challenged with that they had to reach out of their comfort zone to grab onto and hold onto. And they ha- that was something that each character brought out of them that they, w- that they needed to apply in their real life. Because if they didn't do that, then they would not, not be able to, like the movie was saying, live their one life to the fullest. Mm-hmm. It was something that was already a part of them that the game brought out. So in that way, it's almost like Jumanji itself is like some sort of backwards lesson teaching machine like i'm going to do these cruel things and almost kill you if you come into the game but at the end of it you're going to be a better person and that was true in the first movie as well now i don't i don't think that jumanji is necessarily approaching it from that not (laughs) at all that way it's definitely more sinister than positive but it is interesting that these characters come out better 
versions of themselves. And it goes back to that quote that I mentioned earlier, uh, where Martha and Spencer are the last ones to leave the game. And it's because Spencer proposes to her, how about we stay behind? We're these super awesome versions of ourselves in here. Why don't we stay and just be this awesome all the time? And she says, well, yeah, why not be this awesome all the time? But we can do that back home. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree with that. And then just teamwork. I mean, th that's the obvious one. Even when you're different from the people around you, we all have our strengths and we all have our weaknesses and we should rely on each other and play to each other's strengths. I mean, even though we view ourselves as the protagonist of the story all the time, sometimes the protagonist isn't the one who needs to be in the spotlight. Sometimes if you're in a group of friends, for example, it doesn't mean that you have to be the one to do things. Sometimes you can rely on that friend to do a thing or whatever it may be, whatever the case may be. It's not always about you and you have to rely on other people uh, sometimes or all the time, really. Uh, it's not just about what you can do for yourself. Yeah. And uh, that's, I mean, that's a huge life lesson is that teamwork is necessary in parts of life. I mean, we all have different strengths and weaknesses, kind of like the game highlighted. Each character had strength and weakness, whether that was physicality or uh, intelligence or just a different abilities that they each had. Uh, there are people in life that we'll need to rely on dur different, during different uh, just parts of life itself, uh, d different stages of life that we'll have to rely on because they have the experience or knowledge or wisdom that can help you move through that lesson, move through that stage of life and be help you become better, help you find new things to apply to your life that will move you further and further and become a better version of you. Any final thoughts? Other than the fact that it was a fantastic movie and we <laughs> laughed a lot, enjoyed it, and I definitely want to eventually go see it again, whether it be when it comes out uh, on DVD or just later on in the season of just being in the movie theater. Yeah, it's definitely one that I'll revisit. It's not like a one and done kind of thing like some movies are. So I'm looking forward to rewatching. But with that, that is the end of the official first episode of Cinescope Today. I hope you all enjoyed it. Something different for the, the Cinescope brand, if you will. And uh, we're looking forward to continuing it. Yeah, I'm very excited about this opportunity. And I think this was a great first movie to start this new brand. Agreed. Uh, contact for the show is the same as the other one, facebook.com slash Cinescope Podcast and at Cinescope Pod on Twitter. If you feel the need, go over to iTunes, rate, review, maybe even subscribe. You can also do that on the Apple Podcasts app on your iOS device. And if you have feedback or ideas, you can email the Cinescope Podcast at gmail.com. And also, like we said at the beginning, if you want us to cover a particular film that's coming out in the future, just let us know. Say, hey, we'd like to hear you talk about whatever this movie is. And uh, we'll definitely put that into consideration and maybe even talk about it. So let us know. Seth, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Seth02. That is Seth, the letter O, number two. And if you have any questions, comments, anything like Chad just said about any movies you might hope for us to uh, talk about, please let me know as well. And I'll gladly relay the message on to Chad. And we're very excited about just who all is going to be involved in this little journey we're going to be going yeah, and the best place to find me is at Chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also, facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. You're welcome to friend me. Just let me know that you're a listener so I don't ignore it. <laughs> um, also, there's my other podcast, An American Workplace, 
where we talk about NBC's The Office. And we are coming up on the close of season three of the show. Uh, we're releasing episode 26 of our show this week, which is crazy that it's already been this far, but uh, you can find that where podcasts can be found and workplacepodcasts.com. Show notes and contact information can be found at the website, thecinescopepodcast.com. And that is all for this episode. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to episode one. I'm Chad Hopkins. This was Cinescope Today, and we'll be back next time with episode two. Have fun and celebrate movies. Mm-hmm.